Father, it is a delight to have access to these words, your living words. And as we come this morning, we come with anticipation and excitement that we are going to be addressed here in this place by the God who is. We, we, it's so easy to take this for granted, Lord, but you, you speak now, and we are here, and we are here to listen, to hear from you. Lord, engage us at the level of the soul. Put away distraction. Put away lesser things. Lord, clear our minds to see you and to hear you and to respond to you in a way that would be right and fitting and glorifying to you. Come now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The seed of the word and the soil of the heart. The first section we're going to begin with uh, is, is an interesting little window into the ministry of Christ. And so we saw as we left off before Easter how Jesus allowed a prostitute to come into a Pharisee's home and wet his feet with her tears and then wipe his feet, wash his feet with her hair and then pour an expensive ointment on there that would have been fitting for his honor and, and esteem. But, but in the face of all of that, the, the Pharisee had failed to do that. And so here comes this woman, and so the, the question kind of begs, well, how did Jesus interact with women? I mean, we know that he called 12 men to be his close disciples, and none of those were women. So how is it that Jesus is expressing love and care and teaching to those who are women? In nearly every point along the timeline throughout history, the subjugation of women can be found. It is a, an echo that stems from Genesis 3. It is a haunting, horrible display. The treating of women as somehow lesser than the man. It's never intended to be that way. Not from the beginning. Part of the curse that we see in Genesis 3 brings uh, a horrible display, and, and not just one direction, right? So the, the pushing down of women by men, but also the response in, in, in kind of a, a usurping response by women, and the women's liberation movement of, of modern days is nothing new. This is age old. This, this combat between men and women is something that sin has brought forth. It was something very normal in Jesus' day. Let's read how Jesus uh, interacts with these, these ladies. Let's, uh, verse 1. Soon after, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing good news to, uh, of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. What, a, what an amazing thing to see. So you have Jesus who is traveling around, and he has these 12 disciples that he has called in. We know them as the, the apostles, uh, save one, the, the betrayer, who would be replaced by Matthias. But these inner 12 are the men who have gone full-time with Jesus. They go everywhere with him. That is their profession. The problem is, is they're not making any money. This is what they have to eat. Where are they going to stay as they travel all over Israel? Where are they going to uh, find the means to survive? We know that they had enough to even give to the poor. So somehow there was money coming in. They kept money in a box. And uh, you know the one that, could, that took care of that box? Was Judas. He would often be dipping in, right, to that box. He paid a special attention to the money. Where did the money come from? Well, we find out here. It came from a number of significant women who followed Jesus as well. They were with him as he traveled, and out of their means, they supported this ministry. That's amazing. It's an amazing thing to consider, especially in this time, because a rabbi would never teach a woman in Jesus' day. That was seen as, as out of bounds. 
And even the way that rabbis would refer to women was degrading, and they would push down the, the opposite sex. Men were the leaders, the, the, uh, the important ones, the shapers of society, and women were repressed very much in this day. Jesus comes along just like Jesus does, right? And he engages them in ways that a rabbi of his day would never. In fact, even Gentile women, sinners, he speaks with, spends time with, instructs, teach. Remember the woman at the well? Scandalous that, that a, a, a noble, religious leader, Jewish man, a rabbi would speak and engage a woman like that. Jesus cut through all of that, that hollow cultural baggage of sin. It points us to something of a kingdom value here. You ask the question, well, are men and women the same? It's a big push of our day. The answer is no, they're not. We don't believe in sameness. <laughs> That diminishes the glory of God. We believe in distinction for His glory. It's not better to say that everyone's the same. It's better to say we're different for His glory. He created male and He created female. And maleness is to His glory. When men are men, they glorify God. Act like men. Be strong. Let all you do be done in love. That glorifies God. That's command to men. And in the same, same way, women. Femininity is God-honoring and glorifying to God. So ladies, be a woman to the glory of God. Don't feel like you have to be a man. Men, don't feel like you have to be a woman. Be who God has made you to be for His glory. And you're different. If you're married, you know this. The kingdom value echoed all over the New Testament, especially in Paul's writing, is men and women are equal in value, equal together at the foot of the cross. There is no, no, no more room for the man than the woman at the foot of the cross. We come together on our knees, totally desperate for a Savior. We come equally there in value. We come desperate for salvation. We find life and light in Jesus Christ alone. But we are given different roles. Different roles. So it, one of the helpful things to think about in our day when equality in value requires sameness in function or role, we say no. Not biblically speaking. Equality in value can be expressed through distinction in role. God assigned roles. The Father sent the Son to lay His life down and be the Savior of the world. Is the Son less than the Father? No. The Son submitted His will to the Father. Is He less? Absolutely not. They are equal, co-equal in all their godness, yet they serve and function in different roles. This is God-honoring, God-glorifying, and so here, even in the ministry of Jesus, much less the Trinity and the family and the church, you see this consistent. Jesus calls 12 men, and he appoints them to a task, to a role, to a function. He does not call 12 women. This is purposeful. This is not just cultural. This is a statement of, of a role assigned to men. Yet, there is a place and a function, and the ladies are brought into this work. They're not excluded. He welcomed them in. They walked and journeyed with him. He taught them and instructed them and engaged with them. He healed them. He saved them. Mary Magdalene, we learn a lot about her here. We, we see her show up in a variety of places along the way. In fact, when a lot of the men fled, she was there. She was there. I think we need to dispense that the idea of her being a prostitute is ever there. There's no evidence in the, in the Scripture that she was a prostitute. That's a mixing of two different scenarios uh, wrongfully. This woman had seven demons, and the Lord cast those evil spirits out of her, and she followed Christ faithfully. Through the cross, 
And then, remember, first to the tomb on Resurrection Sunday. Why do you seek the living among the dead? She was there, along with many other Marys. There's so many Marys, it's confusing. But uh, we got to visit Magdala, which they discovered in 2009, six inches under the dirt. They were getting ready to, to build a building. They could put the backo in the ground, and they're like, hey, we hit something. They start to uncover the, the synagogue at, at Magdala that had been hidden until 2009. And so we were there as they were still uncovering it. And see, that's where Mary was from, right by the Sea of Galilee, not too far from Capernaum where Jesus' home base was in his ministry. So it's important that we see this. If you want to study this more, there's, there's time for that. After, uh, you might look up the term complementarian. Compliment, not compliment, like the women are supposed to give the men uh, compliments. Oh, you're so wonderful. And no, but complement, corresponding helper. This is the equality in value and distinction and role that we believe that men and women are to have. That's, that's what we are as a church. We're two-point complementarians. We see a, a significant role within the church and within the family of an equality call and a distinction in role call. So Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, this is a significant lady. Her husband basically managed or ran the household of Herod significant wealth, significant influence, and she's a believer. That's awesome. Like within the home of Herod, you have this lady who is a follower of Christ, and she is supporting Jesus' ministry out of her means, probably from money that Herod had paid her husband. What an amazing thing. Susanna and many others. Now let's move on to the parable of the uh, soils. It's fascinating to me to consider that this parable has the title, The Parable of the Sower, because the sower is not at all in focus. That's, it's not about the sower. It's about the soil. And so I think it's right to call this the parable of the soils. Let's read this, and uh, we'll make some observations here. When a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock as it grew up and withered away because it had no moisture. Some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and with it and choked it, uh, and some fell into the good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears... Let him hear. What an interesting story Jesus tells. There are three aspects to the story. You have a sower, and he's going out to sow. Now, this is done very differently in our day. In fact, John, you, you and your crew probably don't do this with a burlap sack and a, and a sling and the seed. The sower would go out, and he would be uh, wearing one of these, it would be wrapped around so that the seed would be sitting here and he could just hold it. And he would go out. Now, what's interesting is Jesus really doesn't say much about the sower. That's not the point of the parable. He's not emphasizing the sower. Let me just have to say this. In our day, I think too much is made about the sower. We, 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 we put too much emphasis on the sower. What can happen is this celebrity pastor type of thing, the celebrity author, the sower becomes the focus of all of this. Well, if you really want to, to, to get someone saved, you take them to this person's church, and man, they, when they preach the gospel stuff, no, well, that's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, the sower is anyone who throws a seed. It's you. It's me. Every believer is commissioned by Jesus to be a sower of seed. If you know enough to be saved, then you know enough to sow seed. It's really simple, isn't it? Just tell them what happened to you. Tell them what you believe. Tell them what Jesus has done. Tell them how he changed you. Tell them the good news of the gospel that saved you. Just sow that seed, right? 
So the emphasis is not really on the sower. We also have to point this out. The emphasis is also not on the seed. The seed is not in question, is it? The seed is the gospel. We'll find soon. It's, it's not a question about seed. Is the seed strong enough? Is it good enough? Is it, is it the right kind of seed for the soil? No. It's, the seed is just fine. From a tiny seed can come a huge crop bearing all kinds of produce. And yet, in our day, you go into a bookstore, especially pastors are given many books on church growth strategies, ways to grow the church, important things to learn from how this person did it in this place, and now everybody should do it what they did, church growth. I got so sick of those books, I stopped reading them years ago. Church growth strategies. Honestly, if you want to grow your church, preach the gospel. Love people. Preach the gospel. Make disciples. That's what we do. It's, it's very simple. The question is not, is the seed right? Now, here's what also can happen. Sometimes people will say, well, yeah, a lot of seed these days we genetically modify. It, it makes it better seed. Maybe we should put a little genetic modification on the gospel. We need to make our gospel a little more relevant to our culture and our day. Make it for the, the modern man or the postmodern man. It needs to be more palatable. Let's pull out some of those things in the gospel that are kind of off-putting, the things that kind of step on people's toes. Let's pull those, those things back. We can modify this, and it'll work a lot better. When you adjust the gospel, you lose the gospel. You, you, you cannot genetically modify the gospel, especially if you pull out things like sin or wrath or repentance or judgment or justice. In our day, we hear a lot about the love of God. We need to make sure that the love of God is in its fullest display when we speak of the good news of of the cross. Yes, his arms are open in love as he drinks wrath for my sin and offensiveness. That is the love of God. So we do not need to adjust the seed to make it more palatable for the ears. What we're called to do is sow. The emphasis is upon sowing. So here comes the, the, the sower, and he's got the seed. Now, these are beads, and kids, I'm going to need your help because I'm about to throw some seed everywhere up here. Okay, look out, Kathy. It's coming your way. This is what they do. They reach in their bag, and as they're walking, they just start doing this. And they throw some seed. And, this, and you could do this all day long, and they probably did. They're just chucking seed as they go. And the goal is to fan it in such a way you want to fan it out in such a way, and I've practiced this with grass seed in my backyard. You can get it so it kind of lays out fairly evenly. And the more you practice this as a sower, the more consistent that seed will spread, and it falls. So we know how the sower is, is slinging the seed. Some of the seed falls on the hard path next to the field. That would be this over here. Um, this is from Israel. So you get a bit of a sense for that. It's, a, it's the, the beaten down area where people walk back and forth. And the fields were narrow in this time. Many times you have a lot of path and, and walking. And then here's the rocky area. While this may be some of, of where the stones have been cleared and piled up, I think, and I'll describe it more, there's, there's more to the rocks than just a pile of rocks. But here's some of the soil, and I don't know, we'll call these weeds. I, no picture is perfect. But you want to get the, the, the seeds sown in here. So he would take those seeds and he would throw them. And Jesus says this next, which is an interesting thing to say. And the more you study this, the more you realize this is the most important piece. He who has ears, let him hear. If you have ears to hear, let him hear. Well, who in earshot of Jesus from the boat over to the shore was lacking ears? Most of them, I've mentioned, they were coming out of battle. Maybe they lost one or two, but most of them have ears. It's not talking about just ears. He's saying, if you hear what I'm saying, listen. 
Lean in. Pay close attention. Listen with the ears of your heart. This is a very important story. It's not just a nice little farmer story. This is a very significant thing I've spoken. He wants the people to engage the story. Not just say, yeah, it was great. Jesus is telling stories about a farmer. That's a good story. Hey, let's go get lunch. Right? Hmm. Now, listen to how this goes. The disciples, they, they listen and they lean in. This is a, an example of that. This is exactly what Jesus wants them to do. They come to him in verse 9, the purpose of parables. Jesus, uh, when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. You realize that this was the point as the crowds pressed in and came and came, more and more people came. This is the point along the way that Jesus began to speak only in parables. Matthew tells us this. Jesus was not impressed by the numbers in the crowd. What Jesus was looking for was people who listened from the heart. Take those words. Grab onto them. Lean into them. Seek to understand Hold them, apply them, live them. To you, he says to his disciples, it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Do you feel how significant that is? Here even this morning, here we are, to, to be recipients of, of, of the kingdom revelation of God, to know God, to know his Son as Savior, to, to understand His glory, to delight in Him. It's an amazing gift. We don't deserve this. But for others, these parables are given so that seeing they may not see. Now that echoes out the language of Isaiah. He quotes from Isaiah here. Remember Isaiah 6? I saw the Lord high and lifted up. The train of His robe filled the temple. And the call was, Who will go? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me, right? Then the instruction came. Go and speak the words that I will give you so that the people who see will not see. Seeing they will not see, hearing they will not hear. Isaiah was to speak, and God was to use that message to judge. To judge. There's two things happening in these parables. To some, they reveal the kingdom. To others, they conceal the kingdom. To some, they bestow grace and glory. To others, they harden the hearts. They, they are a judgment on others. Some hear this story and they say, ah, oh, great story, Jesus. Let's, uh, let's hang out, man. What else we got, right? You got more stories? This is fun. They're not listening. They're not hearing. They're not engaging. What's he really saying? And in that, even in a proximity with Jesus, judgment was happening. Hmm. Lots of parables in the Scripture. Every time a parable is spoken, there's two things operating. Revealing and concealing. Softening, hardening. God is at work. I pray in this room right now, that the first is happening, that His grace is revealing to you, that you're leaning into these words, that you are seeking to understand, not just saying, here I am, punch the time card, it's what we do, you're right, and can't wait to go watch basketball after church, whatever we're going to do, we're going to go on a picnic. Or, no, listen in, right? Engage. These are significant things. So let's study these soils, these four soils, Jesus says in verse 11, the parable is this, and he's going to explain it to them in greater detail. The seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. So here we are. What am I preaching? Preaching the word of God. I am doing exactly what Jesus has described. I am up here. Don't make much of the sower. It's not about the sower. 
the seed is being cast and, and sent out. Every sermon you hear, every podcast you listen to, every song that speaks of gospel truth is this to your soul. It is seed that is being thrown. The gospel is to ring out. How will it land? What home will it find in your heart? Well, there are four different kinds of soil described. First, the hardened soil. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. The path was trampled. It was hardened. It was beaten down. So when that seed landed on it, it bounced, just like these beads bounced across the floor. It didn't sink in. It's a heart that is hardened, a resolve, a hostility, a rejection. You ever been there? Seeking to share the good news with somebody? And it is, it is it's like game on. Absolutely not. I will not entertain these ideas. You are wrong. Comes, it's, it's fierce opposition. You know, hardness of heart can come in apathy as well. Yeah, okay, whatever. That's cool, man. That's your thing. I got my thing. An invitation to church? Oh, no, 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 I don't, I don't go to church. Well, why? A bad experience. Hard heart. Hard heart. You can throw seed on that all day long. It's going to bounce. The enemy has a heyday with a hardened heart. Hmm. Number two, the shallow soil. The ones that fell on the rock are those who, when they heard the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in the time of testing fall away. Now, what are we to make of this? At Good Shepherd Community Church, we believe that eternal life is eternal life. We believe that when God saves someone, He saves someone eternally in that moment forever. So how do you lose eternal life? Is that what we're speaking about here? You're talking about someone who is genuinely saved and now damned? No. This is a shallow response. I think sometimes, even in our day, a shallow presentation of the gospel, over-emotionalized, just wave your hand and run down the aisle. It's the concert response. And don't get me wrong. God can meet you there in a very real way. But you can also be coerced and over-emotionalized and caught up in the moment and the lights and the fog machine and the songs. And it's easy to think that a decision in a moment like that is salvation. This is shallow soil. Now, there may be joy, there may be emotion, and there should be emotion, friends, when you meet Jesus as Savior and Lord. But there's no root. There's no root. This is a flash in the pan. In the time of testing, the plant falls away. It shrivels for lack of water. I had a friend in California who came. He was all on fire. I'm all in with this Jesus. I'm coming. Yes, this is great. For a few weeks, it was work, everything. I was just like, man, this is amazing. This guy is just on fire. It, he has totally changed. And then this one day came. And he pulled me aside and he said, listen, man, I got a problem with you. What did I do? What did I do? He said, is your God the kind of God who would give my wife cancer? Is that what, is that what you're doing here? Because my wife has cancer now. How does that square with what we're doing? And he said, the same day I found out about that, my son got shipped out to the war, to Afghanistan. He said, how do you, how do you reckon with that? I thought that this God wanted good things for me. I thought that he had good things in store for me. That's why I came, right? No root, no root. That's the God of prosperity gospel. That's no God at all. That's the genie in a bottle. That's the, the mirage that is offered on your television day after day after day by so many false gospel preachers. 
How many people have come to Jesus expecting wealth, health, happiness, and all of their dreams coming true, and then when things don't work out, they are gone. Forget it. I'm out of here. It's not salvation. Those who persevere through the fire display a saving faith. Cling to Him. His good, just to note, His good is always bigger than the good that you can conceive of. And many times it's bigger than comfort. Sometimes it's bigger than life itself. The greatest good He can give you is Himself, which means the greatest gift He can give you is to bring you to Himself face-to-face forever. Some of you have gone through some challenging days. Some of you are in difficult days. Just getting here was tough. Good soil has roots for tough times. Cling to Him. Thorny soil. Let's look at this. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but they go on their way And they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. Their fruit does not mature. Friends, this is the divided heart. The heart that is divided. No one can serve two masters, Jesus says. You will be devoted to one or the other. When Jesus is to take the throne in your life, he is to take it as the king, not a king. The joy, the treasure, the delight, the all in all of your heart. Not what I do on Sundays, if I have time, if I feel like it. The divided heart is a difficult one because there can be growth. There can be what seems to be growth. The problem is is that just like Demas, who deserted Paul, He was in love with this present world. And he left Paul and the mission. And it seems like the gospel. For what? I had a pastor for five years who preached from this book. And not all of his sermons, especially near the end, were faithful to this book. But early on, it sure seemed right. And then what seemed to just eat up his soul was this present world. The praise of man, the pursuit of riches. Now he works for Oprah as a spiritual guide. And he writes books about nonsense like Zimzim. It's scary. It's real, friends. Could be you. The king of kings has to have all of your heart. Not skiing or hobby or house or spouse or health or wealth. He has to be the treasure. The treasure. Do you see why he's saying, listen to what I'm saying? Listen. Eternity is on the line here. Friends, the the gospel is real. It has massive implications for your life. You will not be the same if you actually understand what Jesus is bringing to the table. So he takes this amazing seed, the seed of the gospel, and he throws it. And those seeds fall Some in these various places and some fall in the good soil. This is the receptive soil, the soil that's leaning into his words, the soil that's that's ready to hear from him. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, what do they do? How do they respond? They hold it fast. They grab onto that seed with all their might. In an honest and good heart, And they bear fruit with patience to hear and hold fast to the gospel. That's the heart of it. It's not just, oh, Jesus, you're a great teacher. What a great guy. 
Look at you, taking care of people. I'm in, man. Let's do this. This sounds like fun. Let's just be together. Let's do our thing. No, it is, I am a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. You're my only hope. I'm all in. My life is yours. My days are yours. Everything is yours. Holding fast. You realize that faith that is true and genuine is persevering faith? We are not saved because we persevere. We persevere because we are saved. It's real. It has roots. Storm winds blow. We hold on. Cancer comes. Heart attack. Loss of a spouse. We cling to Him. We don't let go. When I am weak, He is strong. Though the outer man wastes away, the inner man is renewed day by day because of roots in Christ. We have a foundation. Now, why does he say with patience? That struck me. It just jumped out. He bears fruit with patience. Well, I planted in my backyard some grapes a few years ago now, and I have yet to see any fruit. Now, the good news is, is that I was told at the beginning, be patient. Right now, these awesome little branches, it's so cool. You just take a stick, stick it in the dirt. It does stuff. They're budding. They're growing. They've grown up. Now, on my trellis thing, they're growing up. I may see fruit this year. I've got beautiful purple blossoms coming. They're alive. It's been a few years. I've cultivated, I've pruned, I've cared for them. Sometimes I talk to them. (laughs) Come on, little guy. You can do it. Reach for the sky, right? Someday that fruit is coming, but it takes a little time. You got to understand, when you come to Christ, it takes time to see fruit on the branches of your life. You're a work in progress. You've got to understand, persevere, friend, The fruit is coming. One of the fruits of the Spirit is patience. That's ironic. That might be the first fruit you notice in your life. To be patient. God's at work. God's at work. Now, he goes on and says these next couple sections, and I just had to include them. How does this fit in with what he's just said? Verse 16 to 18. The light of fruit is what I'm calling this. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed or puts it uh, on a, uh, but he puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be uh, known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. These are kind of ominous words, aren't they? They come in the context just after the seed has fallen in the good soil and it's becoming this massive produce of growth and fruit and just flourishing in this good soil because the sower was faithful. Right? The sower was facing, he threw the seed. The seed is powerful, always. And the soil was clinging, receptive. How does this relate to lighting a lamp? I think it's the connection here is, is the fruit and the light. When God puts fruit on the branches of your life, he intends that fruit to be a blessing to be a testimony, to, to proclaim His light, to shine in the dark. Your fruit is His light. We see this in Matthew 5, 16, uh, 15 and 16. Jesus says the same thing. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, or, uh, but they put it on a stand. It gives light to all in the house. Now listen. In the same way, let your light shine before men, so that they may see your good deeds. What do they see when light shines? Good deeds. 
good deeds. That's light. So fruit, the, 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 the living out of the gospel is light and it shines before men. And the goal of that is that they see that light, they see those good deeds, they see the transformation of a person who has radically been changed, brought to life by the gospel, and they do what? They glorify you? No. They glorify your Father in heaven because you're speaking. He did this. I'm not who I was. This is His work in my life. Look at what He can do from a moment. Hmm. So take care how you listen. Take care how you listen. The call to shine your light is real. Take care how you, it all hinges on this. Lean in, listen close so that you can shine in a dark world. Now, hearers and doers of the word, hearers and doers of the word. Verse 19, then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And Jesus was told, your mother and brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. It just Stop here. Wouldn't, I mean, wouldn't you think as you're traveling about, it's your mom, right? It's your mom and your bros. They're outside. They want to see you. They want to see you. They can't get to you because all these people. How does Jesus respond? He answers those who brought that word, and he says this, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. <laughs> now, what is he? He's not dissing his mom. Right? He's not slamming on his brothers. He's still teaching. He's, he's using all these references to show us how significant it is that we listen and obey. You can be part of the family of God if you listen and obey. Call it this morning. He who has ears, let him hear. She who has ears, let her hear. You can come to church week after week. You can enjoy what we do. And you can go to hell. That's, that's, the, that's the reality, friends. I, I don't mean that to be offensive. Coming to church is not saving you. Knowing church people does not save you. When you stand before the Lord Almighty, the only hope you have is Jesus. It's Jesus. So we've got to ask a really important question this morning. Do a spiritual EKG on your heart. Your heart. Is it hard? You have a hard heart. Had a bad experience in church? Got some real strong opinions about things? Do the seeds that I have thrown your direction this morning just bounce a little? Be warned. Satan is quick to scoop them up and direct your gaze to the next thing. Lunch, go to the park, basketball, and you can feel great about coming to church and have absolutely nothing happen in your heart. Don't do that today. I plead with you. You struggle with a fickle heart. A heart that maybe just, you know, I'm in, I like this, but it's, boy, if things go wrong, I'm out of here. If, if, if God gives me what I want Him to give me, I'm good. But if I don't get what I want, sayonara. A fickle heart. A divided heart. Are you here this morning? And if you're honest, you are an idolater. I want you to think right now, what commands most of your attention all week long? What is it that you think about more than anything else? What do you long for 
above all else in this life, you have just found an idol. That idol will never be satisfied unless it has all of your heart. And Satan will employ all means necessary to keep you from giving your heart fully to Christ. Choke out the weeds. Don't allow the weeds to choke out the gospel. Go to the heart. Call it what it is. Confess it. Turn. Don't bow. Don't don't give your heart to nothingness. This world is fading. Do you find when you look in this morning a trusting heart, an obedient heart, a tenaciously persevering heart? I will cling to you by your grace. Hold me to the end. Come what may, I'm yours. I pray that that's where we're at. More and more every day by His grace. What if you're not there? What do you do? Well, don't be fatalistic. Let Him who has ears hear. Hear what is offered to you. The seed is thrown across it all. So what do you do if the seed bounces when it hits your heart? Here's what you do. You, you remind yourself of the God who is sovereign to change the hardest heart. Look at what he can do with a heart of stone. And notice the I wills. I underlined them all. This is what God does. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, divided heart. He says, I will cleanse you. He can do that. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the hard heart, the heart of stone. I can remove that, God says, from your flesh and give you a new heart, a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. We have a sovereign God who is able to rescue even the hardest heart. That's why we evangelize. That's why we pray. Change my heart, O oh God. Right? And this is what it comes down to. If in your spiritual EKG you found something disturbing, it's God's grace at work. It's His Spirit saying, something's off here. It seems like we're alive, but we're not. We got a problem, a heart problem. We need His help. So you call out, change my heart, O oh God. If you're here and you have not yet made Jesus your Lord and Savior, this could be the day. Let him who has ears hear. You could say these words. Save me from my sins. Forgive me. I place my faith, all of my faith, in Jesus Christ. I trust his finished work for me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins, not just sins, my sins. I believe that he was buried to, to taste of the death that I deserve for my offenses against a righteous and holy God. I believe that he rose in victory on my behalf. And I place my faith in him completely. Please bring me to life in Jesus. Make me yours forever. And teach me how to live for you. Thank you for loving and saving me. Look to him. Confess your sins. Trust him. Eternity is in the balance when the words of the gospel go out. Today is the day. Believers, those who have already made this decision. Maybe you've, maybe you've been here for years and you're like, man, I, I, I have grown up in the church. I trust Jesus as my Savior and Lord years ago. He is mine and I am His. But I saw some things when I looked in my heart that are disturbing. The same call is for you today. Listen 
Engage. Change my heart, O oh God. Wash me. Cleanse it out. I don't want a divided heart. I want a heart that is fixed on Christ, my treasure and Lord. I don't want a fickle heart. Lord, give me the strength to cling to You when I'm weak and feeble. I believe. Help my unbelief. What a prayer. I don't want a hard heart. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for these words our Savior spoke. We thank You that as we dig, Your Word comes alive. We thank You that this is not just a story, but it is life itself being offered from the Savior. Father, we have felt rightly convicted as we've journeyed through this. Our hearts can be so fickle. Our hearts can grow hard in an instant. Our hearts can be prone to idols. Oh, our hearts can be idol factories. Lord, we want to be good soil. We want to be rich and, and cultivated and tilled. Plow up anything in us that is not totally captivated and focused on You. Lord, bring life where there is not life. We pray that today, if there is any in our church who, who don't know You as Savior and Lord, that, that they would leave this place confident that, in fact, Jesus is their Savior and that they are Yours, that they have been forgiven because of Him. We love the gospel, we love the seed, and we want to be faithful to sow that seed and shine that light. Lord, make us shine bright, we pray, this week. We're proud. We don't want to be ashamed. We have life. We've been changed. Use us to that end that others may see and know and live. In Jesus' name, amen.